0: reading we have four passages we have Habakkuk 2 13 to 14 we have Romans 10 verses 14 to 15 chapter 15 verses 20 to 21 and finally Matthew 28 verses 19 to 20 and the sermon title is world's mission accomplishing the task and so we'll start in the book of Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 13 this is God's holy and inerrant word Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Moving to Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Moving to chapter 15, verse 20. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see And those who have never heard will understand. And now moving to Matthew 18, verse 19. Or sorry, Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. With that, let me just share a quick introduction for today's guest speaker. Matthew Cummings and his wife Annette have served as missionaries to Japan with WEC International for 10 years. Matt grew up in Japan as the son of missionaries and lived the middle part of his life in Philadelphia, and Annette from Alabama is a former nurse practitioner. In Japan, since 2016, they have been church planting with a team member in the major major city of Sendai. Sendai was ground zero of the 2011 tsunami, and this is where Matt grew up. They have five great kids who keep them talking, laughing, and eating a lot of rice. Would you join me as we welcome our guest speaker, Matt?
1: Good morning, it's good to be with you all this morning and uh, thank you for inviting me to speak here for your missions Sunday and your missions month. Uh, It's great to be here, Uh, I was so uh, interested to hear that your church is supporting a couple of WEC missionary families uh, to China, both to China I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, thank you for your support in that, thank you for your partnership with us uh, in that. And I look forward to uh, getting to know your church more and uh, speaking here this morning. As mentioned um, in the introduction, my family and I are missionaries to Japan with WEC. Uh, We've been there for 10 years now. And uh, we have been church planting in Sendai. Uh, Sendai is roughly the size of Philadelphia, a little smaller, but that gives you a bit of an idea of where we are. And uh, we've been uh, doing various outreaches as seeking to raise up a church in that area. And uh, today being a Persecuted Church Sunday, um, it's also an honor to uh, to be here on that Sunday as well, and just reflecting on the Persecuted Church and the many uh, people in that number who have inspired me over the years. And um, I'm not sure if you've heard of the the, the woman Esther Ann Kim, uh, maybe you have or not, but she is one of the uh, biographies that I've read that has really inspired me over the years of uh, her service and sacrifice to the Lord, so... Just an honor to be here on that Sunday as well. Uh, As we uh, think of the uh, topic of world missions today, uh, I would like to look at it from uh, three angles. But before we do that, let's just have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you, Lord, for this uh, time. We pray that you would uh, guide our thoughts. Please guide our minds and hearts as we look into what you're doing around the world Um, and uh, all the things that uh, you have done, and we, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the World Missions Movement began uh, about 200 years ago in England with a man by the name of William Carey. And some of you have made, may have heard the story. He was a, co- a shoe cobbler who was very good at languages. And uh, while making shoes in his shoe shop, uh, he was able to teach himself, I think, about five different languages including Greek and Hebrew, uh, sort of a self-taught man. And the Lord uh, put in his heart a desire for world missions. And he had a map of the world in his wall, and particularly India stood out to him. But at that time, uh, nobody was doing missionary work in the Protestant world. It had been about 200 years since the Reformation, and the church was still sort of getting its feet under itself uh, theologically and sort of coming out of the Roman Catholic Church, and nobody had really thought about, okay, well, what about the rest of the world that doesn't know about the gospel? And, And to this poor shoe cobbler in England, God began to put on his heart the desire to take the gospel outside of the boundaries of England, outside of the boundaries of Europe and into the rest of the world. Uh, but it wasn't smooth sailing. And uh, at a meeting of ministers, uh, this young William Carey spoke up at the end of the meeting and he said, I think we should form a society uh, for just to investigate the taking of the gospel into nations that don't yet know Christ. Sort of spoke up at the end of the meeting and an elder, elder man stood up and said, young man, sit down. You know, if God wants... The the heathen to know about the gospel, he'll do it himself. He doesn't need our help. And that was the answer uh, to William Carey. But William Carey stuck with it, and he pointed out that in the promise, uh, excuse me, in the passage of Matthew 28, where Jesus says, go into all the world, he, he asked the question, well, what about the promise to be with us until the end of the world? Does that still apply to us today? And they had to agree that, yes, it did. And he said, well, if the promise applies to us, that Jesus is still with us, then doesn't the command to go still apply to us as well? Uh, and so he, he uh, began to convince people, and the world missions movement began from there. So I'd like today to go into uh, three areas. One is the, the, the state of missions in the world today, sort of the overall picture of where we are. Secondly, uh, looking at the word missions itself. And lastly, thinking about how we can respond to missions. So first of all, in order to accomplish the task, let's look a little bit at where we are in the world today in terms of Christianity and in terms of the missions movement. If you could uh, hit the next slide, please. So uh, here's sort of the uh, breakdown in terms of percentages of religions in the world. Uh, The numbers of Christians stand at about one third of the world's population. That includes Catholics, Protestants, Uh, As well as Russian Orthodox sort of all branches of Christianity, but it's about one-third Muslims are about a quarter Uh, Hindus are at 14% then you have other religions at around 10% uh, And Buddhists at at 7% and then there's 11% is sort of the uh, Secular world the atheists the agnostics they fit into that 11% category so Christians are as you can see a large part of the world's population if you could hit the next slide, please. Uh, this is just a, a slide showing us how things have shifted over the last 100 years. It's, it's interesting, uh, about 100 years ago, most of the world's Christians lived in Europe. Uh, about two-thirds of the Christians in the world lived in Europe, and a portion of those lived in the Americas. You can see places like Africa, uh, Asia, Latin America are a smaller, much smaller percentage 100 years ago. And if you could uh, change to the next slide. And today that has really shifted. The total number, the total percentage, excuse me, of Christians hasn't shifted a whole lot, but the distribution in the world has shifted. Some of you may know this already, uh, but it's shifted from Europe and America to uh, the South, Latin America, Africa, uh, Asia as well is rising in its numbers of Christians. Uh, This is a very interesting development over the last 100 years. Uh, and so the, the, the total percentage of, of Europe and the Americas has really shrunk, while the percentage of Christians around the rest of the world has grown tremendously in the last 100 years. This is a wonderful thing that God has done. So the next slide, please. And so a couple conclusions uh, from, from this uh, world distribution of Christians is, one, uh, that the church needs to realize her resources, Right. Uh, we have a lot of Christians in the world. That's a lot of people that the Lord has given us to accomplish his mission. The world mission of Habakkuk, that the earth may be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so we have a lot of numbers uh, that we, and that's something we need to realize. Another thing is just the resources that we have. Uh, we have radio programs. Uh, we have uh, bookstores. Uh, we have all kinds of resources in the Christian world that can be spread out into the rest of the globe as well to accomplish this mission. And secondly, uh, just looking over the big picture of Christianity, it stood out to me uh, that unity would be another thing uh, that we need to work for and strive towards. So many different branches of Christianity, so many different uh, avenues that it goes down. And uh, working towards unity is another way that we can accomplish the Christian mission in the world. Over the last 100 years, the, the amount of denominations in the Christian world has sprung from 2,000 to 46,000. And so we've gotten more and more uh, disparate in our understanding uh, of, of the Christian faith. But if we can work toward unity, that mission can be more accomplished uh, in a better way. So if you could hit the next slide, please. Uh, the next uh, subtopic I want to look at is who are the missionaries today and where are they going? Uh, And the the word who uh, has changed as well in the last 100 years. About 100 years ago, uh, there was a phrase from the West to the rest. Uh, And today, the phrase has changed to everyone to everywhere. If you could change to the next slide. Uh, This is a picture of our missions force in Japan, uh, the WEC missionary group in Japan. There's about 40 of us there, and uh, you can see we're from all over the globe. Uh, There's about 12 nations represented there. Uh, In fact, uh, statistically, Korea is the largest represented country in WEC uh, by far. Uh, It's it's something like 20% of all WEC missionaries are from Korea today. Uh, And so we have missionaries from Singapore, from Hong Kong, uh, some from Europe. We're getting some now from Northeast India. We have a woman from Northeast India, uh, Brazil. And El Salvador actually just arrived uh, this year in Japan, a woman from El Salvador. And so God is raising up a global force of missionaries from all over. It's not just uh, Europe, North America anymore, but it's from the global south. It's from the east. It's from everywhere uh, that he's raising up missionaries to go into all the world. So this is also a wonderful development. The next slide, please. That's uh, just a slide of our, uh, the WEC team in Chad, and you can see the many different nationalities there as well. And the next slide. And this is a, just a slide of our, our, uh, sh- our smaller team in, in Sendai where we work, and everybody there except for my wife and I were from a different nation, a different culture. And so God is really raising up a multicultural missions force today to go into all the world. This is a wonderful thing. Okay, Um, and then the the next slide, please. Where are they going? This is also uh, something to look at in terms of global trends of missions. And again, this may be a common statistic, I'm not sure, I wasn't really aware of it before I began doing research. But where the missionaries are are going uh, into the world, I wanna define a few terms here before the next slide. One is the word people group, and you've heard that. A people group is a group of people that could be within a country, uh, who share so a language and a culture, and, and the gospel can spread within that group uh, because they have a common understanding uh, of themselves and a, and a common identity that they share. And so that's a people group. And within uh, perhaps America, within India, within China, there can be many people groups. And so in missions, we talk now in terms of going to a people group more so in, in, instead of going to a nation because within a nation, there can be many people groups. Okay, so that's people group, and then there's various types of people groups. One is a reached people group, and uh, people differ or have different opinions about this, but one definition that I like is any group that has 5% or more evangelical Christian is considered reached, and that's sort of based on uh, uh, experience as well, but I think that's a fairly good threshold, uh, and that means that the church has enough strength to stand on her own two feet, she doesn't really need outside help in the form of missionaries and, and and others to come in and help. So that's we call that reached. The second category is unevangelized, and we see this in Europe, uh, some parts of Eastern Europe, uh, perhaps some parts still of uh, of Latin America. Unevangelized is sort of a emerging church. They're between two and five percent, uh, but they're not quite there yet. They still need some help, and there's still large numbers of unevangelized people in that country. And then we get to the last category, which is unreached, right? And unreached is uh, 2% and below. Again, these percentages are uh, made up by humans, uh, but they do have some merit. 2% and below, and that's where you get to a people group that the church has not reached that point where they can stand on its own two feet, right? And that's um, that's where missionaries are going as well. So next slide, please. Where are the missionaries going? Well, there's about... Uh, 400 and some thousand missionaries in, in the world. And this includes Catholic. Uh, I believe it includes Eastern Orthodox, all branches of Christianity. Uh, and we see as people have done studies that about three fourths of these missionaries are going to already reached people groups. Uh, that's what the research says. I don't say that to uh, point fingers or to judge. I, I know uh, people that go to these places and I think they're doing wonderful work, but that's a reality. Another uh, 19% are going to the unevangelized areas. And these may be um, places such as the Czech Republic, uh, places such as Spain or Italy, where the percentages are lower and much more help is needed in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, discipling and leading people to Christ. But that leaves only 3% going to these areas of the world that are considered unreached. So I didn't know this. So that was an interesting uh, thing that I found out doing research. Next slide, please. And so uh, where do the unreached live? And you've probably heard of this as well, that area that's surrounded by the yellow marker is called the 1040 window, uh, named after the the latitude of it. And uh, most of the world's unreached peoples live in that area. And so you can see it's that belt uh, stretching from North Africa across the Middle East into East Asia. That's where the unreached people are, the 1040 window. And about 3.2 billion people in that area are considered unreached. I think the population is actually more than that. Okay, the next slide, please. And so what are some reasons for that? Why are so few going into the 1040 window? Well, one reason is that it's difficult and dangerous. Dangerous being the key word. Uh, I've heard reports. I know people who have gone to Pakistan and and bad things have happened. Uh, there's been, uh, uh, There's persecutions in North Africa. The Christians have been ejected from Morocco in recent years. Uh, there's threats of, of, uh, there are physical threats in these areas that are not to be minimized. And so it's dangerous. It's at best difficult. Another reason is that the culture and the language are difficult to penetrate. Uh, we found this in Japan. Japan is quite a difficult language to, to get and to understand, as well as the culture. Very difficult to understand. And lastly, I have to say that another reason is that the devil's power is strong in these areas. Now, as Reformed Christians, we may be a little uncomfortable with that statement uh, because God is king over all the earth. And yes, he is. Amen. Uh, but these places that are unreached today are unreached for a reason. Right? And you go to these places and you find you work with somebody for five, ten years and they're interested, they want to believe. And I heard somebody, a missionary, say recently, do you want to become a Christian? They said, I would rather go to hell than become a Christian. And go to hell for it." They said, why? He said, do you realize what would happen to me if I became a Christian? You know, my family would ostracize me. My village would kick me out. I would have no life. The suffering would be too much. I can't, I can't do it. And this is the, the person who is most interested in his message after about 10 years of work. And so you see that the forces that are pulling these people back into, uh, back into their, their non-Christian way of life are very strong. They're not all insurmountable. They're not insurmountable, it, but it takes prayer. It takes faith. It takes perseverance. Uh, and it's difficult to work in these areas. So these are some of the, uh, the reasons why, perhaps, that there's not as many missionaries in the 1040 window. So the next slide, please. So one conclusion uh, to draw from from this uh, section on where the missionaries are going is that we need to realize the big picture uh, and maybe think intentionally of reshifting our target area, reshifting our focus. If not enough resources are going to where the people are unreached, how can we address that? And I think your church is doing that, by the way. Uh, The two uh, missionary couples that you've sent with WEC are going to China, which is an unreached area. The people groups they're going to are unreached. Uh, to my knowledge. And so thank you for doing that. And as we think of the state of global missions, these are some of the realities and trends that we see. Okay, and just the the last slide before we move on, uh, just wanted to point out a few encouragements uh, and also uh, challenges in the the state of global missions today. So on the encouraging side, uh, we see that Latin America is hugely encouraging. Something like 82% of Latin America identifies as Christian. And one way or another, that includes Catholic, of course, but there is at least that uh, self-identity with the, with the Christian faith. Uh, as well as, there's incur- Africa as well, Sub-Saharan Africa, and there's encouraging reports from China. Uh, some statistic I read that China is just exploding in the number of Christians. India as well, and Iran. Iran is said to have the fastest growing church in the world amid persecution, amen? So God is doing wonderful things. And we can encourage them with our prayers and with our support uh, and with our, uh, with our thoughts and prayers in those areas. In terms of the uh, challenges, again, the 1040 window is a big challenge. It's the outstanding challenge in world missions. Uh, it's where the unreached are. We need to pray about that area. We need to think about how we can be involved in taking the gospel to those people. Uh, But as we pray for those uh, outside of our borders, let's not forget that the encroaching darkness in the West as well. On that first slide, there was 11% uh, in the world are non-religious, atheistic, agnostic, and I'm worried if that number continues to grow, it's sort of coming at us from the back end here in the West, right? Uh, It may be the enemy at our back door, so to speak. And so there's these forces as well that we need to be uh, concerned about here in the West. And then lastly, the global hotspots, since this is Persecution Sunday, uh, pointing out some of these hotspots. India, you may not be aware, but in India recently it was um, determined that by the year 2030, uh, all the Christians and Muslims will be ejected from the country. And when I heard that, I couldn't believe it, but sure enough— uh, now at headquarters in WEC we have an older missionary couple who has been uh, forcibly removed from the country for being missionaries. And they are going apparently going about this systematically. Um, Pakistan remains a hot spot. I keep hearing reports. I keep running into people who have encountered major troubles in Pakistan trying to share the gospel. As well as um, Morocco, I mentioned that. And then North Korea is, of course, the number one. Area for persecution of Christians in the world Uh, so uh, the devil has his schemes uh, and his uh, and his wiles uh, but the Lord is in control Uh, God is stronger and Jesus overcame the devil at the cross and so we go in the strength of the promise of Matthew 28 that I will be with you always to the end of the age so this is a a little bit of the big picture of, of world missions and uh, let's move on next to uh, point number two, uh, which is the meaning of missions. Just thinking a little bit about the word missions. If we're going to accomplish the task of world missions, it's important to know what the task is. And I bring this up because I think in a, in a good-hearted way in and in a well-intentioned way, uh, I hear the word missions being used uh, quite a lot these days. Recently, my wife attended a Bible study uh, where the main speaker was on video. And they were uh, a missionary to Philadelphia from a certain uh, organization. Uh, I've had, uh, been in, in church where a, a friend of mine uh, introduced himself as a missionary. He was a, an associate pastor at a certain church, and uh, he introduced himself as that. And so I hear the word being used quite a lot. Uh, there was an article in Christianity Today, which uh, the title was, Don't Let Missions Fall Prey to Genericide. Not genocide, but genericide, Uh, 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 G-E-N-E-R-I-C-I-D-E. In other words, uh, using the word so much in so many different ways that we forget what it actually means. And in that article, um, this professor uh, asked uh, different students what they thought missions meant. He sort of went down the list and became more and more general. Less and less students raised their hands Finally, he asked, uh, what if I take soup to my next door, to my Christian next door neighbor? Is that missions? And a few students raised their hands. And then the teacher asked, well, what if I'm having devotions in a room by myself? Is that missions? And one student still raised his hand, and the teacher asked him why he thought that was missions. He said, well, it depends. Maybe you're reading the book of Acts. And uh, so... Uh, the word missions is used in a broad way today, and that's not necessarily uh, bad. I can understand it. However, there's a narrow sense, a tech, sort of a technical sense of the word that I'd like to think about with you today. So I want to turn back to Romans chapter 10 uh, and read here from uh, Paul's words in Romans 10, verses 14 and 15. This is Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so here in Romans uh, 10, verse 14, Paul brings out a, a question, an aspect of missions in verse 14, of how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And this really stood out to me because um, I first went to Japan on a short-term missions trip in 2007. And uh, we went back in 2008. And I don't want to uh, embarrass him, but I've heard that Michael Lowe attends this church. That's where we first met the O's. So sorry, Michael, to uh, mention uh, if you're here. I think I saw you somewhere. Uh, But we first met them uh, then. But uh, when we went in 2007— Uh, I had been living already for, I guess, 11 or 12 years in Philadelphia. And uh, I was attending an inner city church there in South Philly. And my pastor was of the mindset that there are a lot of needs here in America, especially in Philadelphia. And therefore, we we shouldn't uh, think so much about going overseas. We're sending too many people and resources overseas, and we're not keeping enough people here to meet the needs that are at home. And I believed him uh, because I looked around, and and sure enough, there were many, many needs in Philadelphia. And so for years, I didn't want to go back to Japan where I grew up. Uh, I was sort of anti-missions, and uh, I I told myself I was never going to do that. Uh, Well, God had other plans, and in 2007, we were in seminary. I was looking for what to do after I graduated, and so we went to Japan for a summer of, of internship. And while I was there, I began to notice uh, something very interesting, was that doing evangelism in Japan was like nothing I had ever experienced before. Uh, It really was, as Paul says here, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And I just ran into so many people who had no preconceived notions of Christianity, no background. Uh, they were blank slates, you know. You would tell them about—my uh, wife and I have had this conversation. She, she studied the story of the, the men who cut a hole in the roof to, to let down the paralyzed man into the, the room, and they got done with the story. And my wife asked them, well, Jesus said, you know, your sins are forgiven. You know, what do you think that means? What was this man's sin? And uh, one of the Japanese women thought for, for a minute and said, well— yeah, that, that guy did need to be forgiven. He was a sinner, you know. And she said, why? Well, because they cut a hole in the guy's roof. You know, they destroyed his house. He he is a sinner. He needs to be forgiven. And uh, so, these are the kinds of responses and reactions that we get. And it's so interesting uh, to hear people's responses who have never heard anything uh, that we've heard so much our whole life for the first time. Right? And so, missions is kind of like going into untouched territory. It really is. And I experienced that in my life. And so uh, these words ring very true to me. How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? Right? And that's what an unreached people group is. And that's the, the, the definition or the, the, the aspect of miss, the word missions that I want to bring out today. Is that missions is going into an area where people have not heard the gospel. They have not had the opportunity to hear it. There's nobody around them who's heard it. And it's bringing the gospel into a territory such as this. Uh, Paul repeats the same idea in Romans chapter 15, verse 20, where he says this, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. And so again, Paul uh, wanted to go not to where Christ was known. In other words, there was these areas of the world where Christ is known. He's at least uh, been, the, people are within the, the range of hearing about him into an area where he's not known, into a, a new territory, a fresh territory for the gospel. And this is the reality of missions today. It's challenging. Uh, it's not easy, but it's enjoyable. And if there's any of you out there who... Uh, at all are interested in this, at all have uh, felt the Lord speaking to your heart about the needs of the world, I want to say to you that it's enjoyable. Uh, There's a lot of enjoyment in being the first person to tell somebody about these things, about the Bible, about Jesus Christ, about what he's done for them. It brings you much joy and satisfaction in your heart. And there's nothing I would rather be doing. There's nothing I would rather be doing. I'm so thankful uh, the Lord has enabled us to do this job. So this is the, uh, the definition of missions that I wanted to focus on. And it's not to say we can't use the word in other ways. That's okay. I don't mind. But let's not forget that there are these areas of the world uh, where Christ has not been named. Christ has not been named. The founder of WEC, uh, C.T. Studd, was famous for some sayings that people remember that are sort of striking and easy to remember. He... Uh, He was kind of a wild guy, to be honest with you. Uh, But one of the things he said was, um, I don't want to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell, right? Do you understand that? He doesn't want to live in an area where he can hear a church or chapel bell. Rather, I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That's what he said. Whoa, kind of strikes you, kind of makes you think. But there are these areas, I think of Pakistan. Pakistan comes to mind. The devil is a roaring lion in Pakistan. Right? Do we have the courage to go there? Do we have the resources to go there? Do we have the faith to go into an area like that of the world? Let's pray for our missionaries who do. I know a team who's there right now. I'm worried for them. Right? Within the sound of a chapel bell, within a yard of hell. Right? And so these are some of the realities uh, and and, and changes, and also um, callings in the area of missions today. Let's, uh, um, I'm moving kind of quickly here, more quickly than I expected, but uh, uh, that's okay. Um, let's look lastly at the the response to missions. So if you could, uh, thank you, hit the last slide there. And the response to missions. So. I like to keep things simple, and um, there's a lot of ways we could respond to missions, but um, I thought of three sort of simple things that that we could do as we think about the task of global missions and taking the gospel into these areas where Christ has not been named. What can we do? What can we do? Um, And before we get to the first one, uh, let me just remark by way of preface that there's something all of us can do. Uh, the Great Commission doesn't just refer to going to the ends of the earth, but it refers to spreading God's kingdom wherever we are. And uh, I was reading Tim Keller's biography recently, and uh, one of the comments that he made while he was alive was that there are plenty of Christians in New York City. Right? There's plenty of, the problem is not the, the, the lack of Christians in New York City. The problem is in New York that if you're a Christian, the people around you don't know that you're one. In other words, uh, the Christians there aren't letting their faith be known, even to the people around them, So that's something you can do. Something as simple as that, right? Uh, At work, in your neighborhood, uh, among your friends, among your circles, just let it out. You don't have to share the whole gospel with them. Just say, tell them you're a follower of Christ. Tell them you believe in Jesus, right? And see what kind of doors and what kind of opportunities that opens up. So that's something we can all do, isn't it? We can all let the people around us know who we follow uh, and who we believe in. Okay, but the first uh, area of, of uh, response to missions I wanted to point out uh, was prayer. And uh, we, you prayed this morning for missions and I want to thank you for that. And we're on furlough now, we're, uh, we're here in the States. And, uh, but when we're in Japan, uh, the thing that my wife and I sense to be most in need of, really, is people's prayers. Uh, that's really the thing that we feel most in need of. In the Bible, there's a story of uh, Moses who was praying for the Israelites as they fought. I believe it was against the Amalekites. And uh, you know the story. As he was uh, praying, his arms were lifted up, and the Israelites were winning the battle. But then he got tired, and his arms began to fall down. And as they would fall, the battle tide would turn, and the, and the Israelites would start to lose. And so, Moses, Aaron and Hurst stood on either side, raised his arms up in prayer, and as they raised his arms, uh, the Lord was fighting for the Israelites, and the, the, the Israelites began to win the battle again. And that's how we often feel in Japan, right? We feel the arms are going down, we're tired, and we invite someone to a Bible study, and a, a week or so before the Bible study, their car gets in, a, they get into a huge car accident, car flips over, they can't come or somebody's interested in Christianity and they move away to a totally different city, uh, or somebody gets sick, or our kids get sick, or their kids get sick, or there's a death in their family and they can't come to the evangelism training that they had signed up for. Right? And we see so many uh, evidences of, of the devil, of Satan at work. And we need prayer. We need prayer to, to overcome those barriers and obstacles. And we need the prayers of the saints. And so we ask for your prayers uh, for, the, for the movement, the missions around the world. We ask for your prayers for the Wu's. We ask for your prayers for the couples that you've sent out from this church uh, into China. Uh, that you would pray for them. Pray for the various aspects of their lives and their ministry. Uh, pray for them as a young family as they adjust to China. What do we do with the children's education? What do we do with these new diseases that are attacking our bodies? We're not familiar with them. What do we do with the fact that there's people around us who speak a totally different language? We can't communicate at all. We feel like we're back in kindergarten or elementary school. How do you work through those uh, initial stages of ministry, and how do you get to a point uh, where you're flourishing as a missionary? So your prayers are vitally, vitally important in the movement of missions around the world. And so please pray. Uh, if you're praying on your own, that's wonderful. If you're praying with a group of people already, that's even better. Right? And pray for, for, these, uh, for these people and these, and these movements around the world. Uh, secondly, uh, secondly is give. And uh, I'm not just referring to money, although I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but I want to talk about ways that we can give to missions. The Bible uh, has a verse that says, news from a foreign land uh, is like water to the soul, something like that. And uh, having lived in Japan for about half my life, this is true. Uh, you, it's exciting when you get an email from, from your friends in the U.S. So when they take the time to schedule a Zoom call with you, or they call you on the phone or write you a letter or something, it's very encouraging to be remembered. So one thing you can give uh, to missions around the world, as we think about that today, is your time. Right? Uh, give a missionary a few minutes of your time. Send them an email, send them a postcard, send them a note to let them know that you haven't forgotten about them. Another way you can give is your talents. And some of you may have talents, you're not sure how they can be used uh, in, in God's kingdom perhaps, uh, or in the world. I just wanted to read a, a list of a few ways that your talents could be used in, the, in God's work of global missions. Uh, one is Maintenance. Uh, literacy, MK education. Uh, Did you know that one of the big reasons missionaries leave the field is because of the education of their children? There's no good options. And uh, that's very difficult for parents to see that. And so they'll either relocate uh, to a, a city with options or they'll leave altogether. So MK education, the arts, engineering, children in crisis. Do you have a heart for children? There are many ministries out there for that. Drug and alcohol rehabilitation, radio programming and training, property management. There's so many areas. It's not just evangelism and discipleship, although that is a big part of it, but there's a whole support structure, a whole network uh, that goes into evangelism here at home and abroad that your talents could be used in. Uh, So if you don't know how you could be used, talk to somebody. There is a way. I'm sure there is a way uh, you can be used to bring God's word to the nations around us. And then lastly is, uh, is finances. And I say this not uh, for the money, although uh, money is a needed thing in missions, but mainly for our hearts, right? For our hearts. What does the Bible say? It says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, right? So where we're spending our money is where our hearts are gonna uh, drift towards. Our hearts are gonna be attached to that. And therefore, if we give to uh, our pleasures, our hearts will be attached to those. If we give to God's cause and God's kingdom, our hearts are going to be more and more drawn uh, into God's purposes around the world. And so where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Uh, And as we give, uh, let's, let's keep that verse in mind. And then lastly, go. Uh, And I've often thought to myself that the word, uh, the the hardest word in the Great Commission is that little word go, right? Why? Uh, Because it moves the Great Commission from theory into practice. It becomes something that not, we just don't have to understand in our heads, but we have to put it into action in our lives. And as William Carey pointed out, and as many others have uh, realized over the years. The Great Commission is not just to those who are in a quote-unquote full-time ministry, but it's to all of us, right? That little word go is actually for our good. It's for our health. If all we do is, is sit and absorb uh, knowledge, if all we do is go to Bible studies, those are wonderful, and we need those. But if we never let it out, if we never share it with the people around us, it's not good for our own hearts, It's not good for our own spiritual health, right? It's not good for the health of the church in the world and for the body of Christ. And so go. Go is actually a blessing that the Lord wants to give you. As you think about ways in your own circles where you can let out the living water, the bread of life, uh, the river of life to those around you. And as we think about going, uh, not just in our own circles, but around the world, um, there are several practical steps that you can take Uh, One of, you may know about the short-term missions programs that a lot of places offer, uh, but I I would recommend those highly. But even if you don't go on one of those, even just going outside of your own country and culture, just to step outside and see what it's like uh, will help you to become a better supporter and a better prayer for the world of missions. I was reminded of this uh, this past week when I was watching. I watched I believe it was the NCAA Division I men's cross-country race. Now, why would I do that? Have any of you ever done that? Does it sound exciting to you? Most people would not do that. They think it's extremely boring, right? Just watch people run for about 28 minutes or 29 minutes, 10 kilometers. Why would I do that? Well, because I ran cross-country myself in college, right? I know every inch of that 8 kilometers. I felt every inch of that eight kilometer race, right? And so I know what they're going through. I can understand it. I can feel it. I can experience it as they're running. I'm like, whoa, he passed five. You know, I, I, I track with it. It's a part of me, right? In the same way, if you were to go on a short-term mission trip, if you were to step outside the boundaries of your own culture, and many of you have probably done that as a as, uh, uh, second culture uh, folks living here in the U.S. Maybe there's, you've experienced that tension already, but stepping outside the boundaries of your own culture it gives you an understanding of what this is all about, and it turns you into a, a better supporter and prayer for the cause of mission. So I highly recommend it. Uh, and uh, along those lines, uh, WEC is offering six short-term trips next year, if any of you are interested. Uh, they're one month long apiece. They're all organized for you. I think cheap, I don't know. Uh, but we do, we have those, if you're interested, I have the information on that. Short-term trips. And then, uh, finally, in the area of go, uh, think about what the Lord would have you do in terms of your life in the area of foreign missions. You know, the harvest is plentiful, uh, but the laborers are few. We, we experience and feel this in Japan. There are few, not enough people to fill the gaps on the line. Uh, we don't have enough hands at the task. We have more people asking for Bible studies than we have personnel to give them to. Uh, we have more people asking for other various activities and ministries. We don't have the manpower. We don't have the time to, to meet all the needs that are there, right? And so what could the Lord be calling you to do in his mission to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you uh, for Jesus Christ. He has won the victory on the cross. We thank you for his victory in our lives. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to each of our hearts. Help us to know what you would have us to do in response to your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.